Welcome to this episode of Share Your Story series. This is a podcast experience where we get to explore humanity one heart at a time. I'm your host, Jenny Diltz, and I'm the founder of Grieving Coach, where we explore grief and look at the um, expansion that it can lead us to. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Jenny Diltz Grieving Coach and grievingcoach.com. Today, I'm excited to be talking with my friend and fellow Imagine, Reimagine collaborator, Carissa Beth Atwood, the founder of Rites of Passage. She was a local church pastor for 18 years, and today she brings her pastor's heart to people of all spiritual and secular worldviews as they move through life's transitions. She considers herself a pastor for people who don't do church. In 2001, Krista Beth survived a life-threatening assault. She lived with undiagnosed debilitating PTSD for seven years before finding help and reclaiming her life. Krista Beth feels called to share her story today to help people, survivors, and allies understand the long-term effects of trauma and know they are not alone. Christabeth, thank you so much for being here with us. Where can people find you? Um, I can be found on social media. Um, My handle for Facebook and Instagram is Rites of Passage, and that's R-I-T-E-S of Passage, V-T for Vermont, which is where I'm located. Um, and then I can also be found on LinkedIn um, under Christabeth Atwood. And my uh, Rites of Passage uh, website is ritesofpassagevt.com. Wonderful, thank you. So your title, your self-proclaimed title is a pastor for people who don't do church. Tell us about that. Sure. Um, So as you said, I was a a local church pastor for 18 years. Um, I went uh, into serving the local church right out of college and seminary. Um, So I was about 25 years old when I first started um, at my first church. And I thought I would be a local church pastor for, you know, the rest of my career until I retired. Um, But a few years ago, I started to feel like um, there was something else I was called to do, and I wasn't quite sure what that was, um, mm-hmm. but I was feeling maybe confined by the institution of the church. Um, I loved the people that I served, um, and in most respects, I loved the work that I did, um, but I just didn't feel that that was where I was meant to be any longer, um, and that came apparent to me through some experiences of, of burnout, um, of not really getting joy out of the things I had gotten joy out of before. Um, So I took that as uh, a sign that I was um, to to step away from that work and see what else was in store for me. So in 2018, I uh, left my, the church I was serving. I had been at that particular church for nine years. Um, And then over the next few months um, discerned that I was um, 
meant to connect with people outside of the church community, um, mm -hmm. those maybe who had been hurt by religion or um, didn't have a religious background, but were curious about spirituality and ritual, um, which are kind of my two passions. Um, so I felt like I wanted to bring the power of ritual to people of all spiritual and secular worldviews. Um, and I, I don't think that ritual or spiritual exploration um, have to take place within a church or a formal, you know, faith community setting. Um, I think that we all have spiritual uh, lives and that we all connect with ritual in one way or another. Mm -hmm. uh, so today um, I work with people who are maybe spiritually curious, um, but not connected with a faith tradition. Um, and I've really enjoyed the work that I've done over the past, uh, well, it's about two years since I've had my business. Wonderful. And it's, it's empowering to, to go outside of the organized church confines and, and embrace spirituality wherever you find it. And to, um, to honor and appreciate ritual. Um, I find that in my grief work, that's something that's, that can be very healing for people is having those rituals and um, finding ways to memorialize their grief, their experiences, their losses. So I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, in your young adulthood, you experienced a traumatic assault. Um, and I know this is a very, this can be a very sensitive topic. Do you mind sharing more about that experience with us? Sure, I would, I would love to. Um, so in 2001, when I was just, um, I was 26 and had just finished serving as my first year as a pastor. Um, I had been dating a man um, who also was a pastor. He was a pastor in the, um, in the conference where I served. And the relationship was kind of tumultuous and um, I didn't feel like it was a relationship I wanted to continue to pursue. So I broke off the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and then a couple of months after that, he came to my house uh, with a gun and he told me that he was going to kill me and then kill himself. Um, and he first, he, he sexually assaulted me. Um, and in the course of about two hours, um, it was, you know, physical assault, and uh, certainly, um, you know, I, I felt like I was, I, I knew that I was going to die in that moment. Um, and I had this, the you know, profound experience of knowing that I didn't want to die in mm -hmm. that moment. Um, and in just a second that he was distracted, um, I was able to grab my keys and run out of my house and able to get to the police station, which was just about a mile away from where I lived. Um, and I, I feel 
so grateful that I survived. I survived something that many other people do not survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, I was able to get to the police station and he was apprehended. Um, and over the next year went through the process of um, the court, you know, court process with hearings and, and such. Um, and he was, he ended up pleading guilty and served seven years in prison. Um, but really the, the moment of the assault, you know, when I, when I was able to escape and survive, that wasn't the end of it. And it wasn't even the end of it when he was, um, you know, when he was convicted and was sent to prison. Um, it was really just the beginning of my journey of uh, living with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many years, not even realizing that that was what I was living with, but knowing that there was something that was wrong and I, I couldn't fix it myself. How did that PTSD play out in your life? Well, the first thing that I remember um, looking back was that I think it might have been just a day or two after the assault. Um, I was back in my home um, where the assault had happened and we were having somebody come and install an alarm system um, because, you know, I didn't feel safe. And I mean, we certainly thought that he was going to be held um, in in prison until you know his trial or in in, in the jail, uh, but we didn't know what was going to happen. So we uh, got this alarm system, um, and my parents were were with me at that time. Mm-hmm. And the doorbell rang, and I just had just a visceral reaction that I couldn't move. I couldn't. I was I was on the the stairs of my home, and I just kind of crumpled down to the floor. Um, and that that was kind of the first experience of oh my gosh you know what is what's happening to me mm-hmm. um, because something as simple as the doorbell ringing and somebody that I knew was you know I knew this person was going to be coming to the house uh, but I couldn't respond um, and I've since learned that that was a triggering reaction for me um, someone coming to the door is uh, a triggering response for me. Um, but so, so that was just the first kind of, um, thing that I remember. Um, Mm -hmm. and over the years, um, I had panic attacks. Um, I suffered insomnia and, you know, sleep had always been something that had come very easy to me. And then I found myself unable to sleep, um, or I would fall asleep, but would wake up and not be able to get back to sleep. Um, I experienced hypervigilance. Um, I always had to know like what was going on around me. If the doors were locked, um, I couldn't, I didn't feel that I was um, able to be alone in my home. Um, I married a couple of years after the assault to a wonderful man who's been very supportive. Um, and he, um, was very, has, was very understanding, um, with me while probably not really understanding what was going on with his wife. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but if he had to be away for um, for work or or to visit his family, I either went to stay with friends or my uh, mother came to stay with me uh, because I didn't feel safe being alone in my home. Um, yeah. And the just the feeling of um, I didn't feel like I I came to the time of not really feeling like I even recognized myself um, because the person that I was before the assault was um, you know confident and creative and had energy um, and I feel like I lost so much of that part of myself um, mm -hmm. in the years after the assault and it came to uh, a head I guess um, about seven years after the assault I got a letter from the parole board that he was coming up for parole um, and in my response to that I mean I had immediately um, had a panic attack um, but then you know just my ability to function in the world at all kind of fell apart. Um, up until that time, I think I had been able to present a pretty um, successful and, um, you know, that I was doing well in the world, mm -hmm. you know, presentation to the world, even though that wasn't how I felt on the inside. Um, I say that I was an expert at imposter an expert imposter of myself, like I was being an imposter. Um, right. And when, when the parole board letter came and I knew that the time that he was gonna be released from prison was coming, um, I pretty much lost the ability to, to do that anymore. Um, and I had been in counseling through the years and mm -hmm. had some good counselors, um, but no one had ever said the words post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, you know, this was also the time in our country when um, we were, you know, with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan had, had begun and soldiers were coming home and um, there was a lot of talk about soldiers and PTSD, but there wasn't a lot of talk about other uh, forms of PTSD or other ways people could experience PTSD. Um, okay. So I didn't really even have you know, a language for that, um, or think that that was something, you know, I thought that that was something that happened, um, you know, when people experience the horrors of war, you know, not mm -hmm. what I had gone through. Um, but I was able to connect with a counselor who, um, she, she was a little, she took she stepped with me a little bit further into the anxiety than my other counselors and okay. she um you know invited me to consider you know like what would be the worst thing that would happen um and of course my worst fear was that he would be released my attacker would be released from prison and would find me um and kill me because that was what he told me he would do and mm -hmm. even um in the in the process of the assault he said if you um you know if I don't kill you tonight I will track you down and kill you um so I had that in my in my you know conscious or subconscious all the time um so 
so my counselor helped me to like consider, well, what would be the worst thing? And then I was able to name that. Um, and so, you know, what can we do to make me feel safer in the world? Um, and I had tried, you know, medications. Um, I had tried, tried some mindfulness meditation, which was helpful. Um, mm -hmm. But really the, the thing that helped, ended up helping me was to get partnered with a German shepherd um, who was trained to protect me uh, if anything, you know, any, if anyone threatened me. Um, and as the universe would have it, um, my German shepherd, whose name is Beatty, B-A-D-Y, um, came home with me on the day that my attacker was released from prison. Um, oh, wow. Such a, wonderful, such a wonderful gift from the universe. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't, um, you know, immediate. My, my healing journey continued on. Um, or, I mean, I guess maybe my healing journey really started then mm -hmm. and, you know, took uh, a while um, as it progressed. But I can say that the first night that, that Beatty came home with me and slept at the foot of my bed was the first night that I was able to sleep through the night um, in seven years. And I mean, that was just an incredible blessing. Mm -hmm. um, Often when I hear people talk about their traumatic experiences, um, there's some, some worry that when they revisit the trauma, that they'll get stuck there. Um, so when, you're, when your counselor invited you to dig deeper and, and explore what the worst thing that could happen was, um, how did you not get stuck in that space of being back in the trauma? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think in some ways, I never really left the trauma. So it was like tapping into what was already there and, and present to me all the time. Okay. Um, and for me, like when she invited me to, to step into it and, you know, see like what would be the worst thing or what would be the end of, um, you know, that, that anxiety. Um, and, and this, you know, might sound a little strange or whatever, but um, in walking with that, through that with her, the worst thing that would happen would be that I would die. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it, there was a realization that that would be okay, ultimately, that I would be, you know, in my understanding, in my spiritual life, you know, in my understanding, I would be with God. Mm -hmm. And that would be, um, I didn't, that, you know, didn't mean that I wanted to die. Right. But um, there was some comfort in, you know, walking to the edge of the cliff and looking down and knowing that you're or coming to a sense of peace within myself that I would be okay. Um, Got it. So that was, I think, um, a freeing experience mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. 
Beautiful. I had a friend once tell me that um, she felt like she was, um, she felt like God had asked her to go to the edge of the cliff and step forward, like off the edge of the cliff. And um, she said that she was, she had this sense of falling. And then a friend reframed it for her um, so that she's not falling, but flying. Mm -hmm. And she had that sense that even though she didn't, have solid ground under her that the Lord was carrying her um, and and she expressed that that freedom as you did mm. yeah it's a scary thing to do mm -hmm. um, I can imagine how long did it take to feel that sense of freedom um, so like after, like after I got Beatty and, and move forward. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that it was really still a number of years before I felt that I could, um, that I kind of had, had, I don't know, shed some of those layers of, of, um, anxiety and kind of, I feel in some ways, like I had this bubble around me that um I felt kept kept me safe but it really kept me pr a prisoner um and so like shedding shedding that and stepping back into the world fully um it took probably still a number of years but um what I say that Beatty did for me was that he he became the vigilant one so that I didn't have to be. Um, mm. And he, you know, he had, I was able to entrust to him that he would watch what was going on around me and let me know if there was something I needed to, to know. Um, mm -hmm. And so he went with me everywhere. He went to work with me and, um, you know, he was in the car with me all the time when I was driving and, you know, he was just my constant companion um and we developed a real bond um that i continue to have with him to this day um but he is retired now he's almost 14 um but he i say that he he helped to restore my false sense of security um because i think that's really all that any of us have we can never be certain of our security, um, mm -hmm. but he helped me to, to develop that or reconnect with that false sense of security that allows me to go about my day um, without the anxiety and fear. Um, and like I, I started to be able to do things like be alone in my home. Um, and as it turned out, a year after I got Beatty, um, my husband ended up with a job that kept him out of the state for uh, Monday through Thursday. And, you know, we would never have been able to take advantage of that opportunity before because I wouldn't have been able to be mm -hmm. home during the week, but I became 
with Beatty's help, I was able to, um, you know, confidently live a home, at home alone. Um, and so we were able to, you know, move ahead as a family um, in new ways. That's incredible. So you mentioned building trust. Um, how did you build trust with Beatty? And how did he learn to trust you? Mm -hmm. um, so we had trained together for two months before he came home. Um, so we had you know, professional trainers working with us. Um, and then after he came home as well. Um, but I think it was just, I mean, it feels like a, a spiritual connection mm -hmm. in some ways um, that he, it's like he realized what he was called to do. And I had the um, trust or the, I don't know, ability to let him do it. Um, and yeah, there was just, you know, a, a connection there that I can't really explain. Um, Beautiful. Did you choose Beatty or did Beatty choose you or a combination of both? Uh, well, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, they, so when I went to this training center, there were several dogs that they brought. Um, I mean, maybe like three or four dogs to, for me to, you know, see if I connected with them. And they brought out Beatty and Beatty's name is, um, my mother's last name is Beatty. Mm -hmm. um, so it was like, like a sign that he was, you know, already part of the family because his name was Beatty. Um, and my husband, you know, confirmed it. Like he watched me with the dogs and he said, you know, that, that Beatty looks like he's, you know, got things under control. <laughs> so that's amazing. So your husband learned to trust Beatty too. He did. Yeah. Um, and it was, he, we were, you know, he was a little nervous at first. I mean, we'd never had a German shepherd and they're, you know, quite imposing dogs, which mm -hmm. I mean, it was part of the reason um, that we got him. Um, but yeah, he like Beatty's first um, person is me. Um, and Gary, my husband, um, is kind of like his college roommate kind of guy, you know, like they play together and, um, you know, fool around and, and do fun things together. Um, but when Beatty's with me or when, you know, when he was younger, when he was with me, he was, he knew it was, you know, serious time. That's awesome. I love that um, there was room for Beatty to have the serious time and the playful time. And he knew which one was which. Yeah. I think there's great lessons in that for all of us, that there's a time to be serious and there's a time to play. Yeah. And I think we need that balance in our lives. What other tools have you used in your journey to heal from the trauma? Um, well, I think talking about it has been a big one. Um, when I, 
before I got baby. Um, and when I was living those seven years with undiagnosed PTSD, I didn't talk about my assault. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I talked about it with family, but with new people um, that I met, I didn't talk about it. Um, and in the churches that I was serving at that time, uh, they didn't know what had happened to me. Um, and so I felt really, there was kind of a split inside of me. There was the Christabeth that I put out to the world. And then there was the Christabeth that um, I kept hidden, but mm -hmm. that was, that was, um, you know, tender and vulnerable um, and in, in need of care. Uh, but I didn't let that Christabeth be seen. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, after I got Beatty and then kind of in the years after, he was kind of an opportunity for me to talk about it because people, you know, were curious about why I had this dog and what he was, you know, what he did for me. And, um, you know, sometimes that felt a little intrusive, um, but over time I became better able to, to talk about it and to feel confident and um, just, you know, happy to talk about what baby had done for me. Mm -hmm. And then I found in talking that there are so many other people out there that have experienced trauma um, and that have, you know, struggled with, with PTSD or um, with other, you know, with, with domestic violence, with, with other, you know, traumatic experiences that may not have a place to talk about it. Um, so I found that, you know, people who I had known had been acquaintances of mine for years when I opened up about what happened to me, um, you know, came to me to talk about what happened to them. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a real gift. So, so I found that, that talking um, was really a healing experience, you know, being able to, to share my experience with other people um, was healing for me. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that it was healing for those you were talking with also, as they saw, they heard your story and saw your courage in opening up and your vulnerability and the way you were healing and progressing in your journey um, allowed them to do the same. Is that what you found? I, I hope so. Um, and, you know, I think that I think that, um, like I had said, I put out an image to the world that everything was fine. Um, mm -hmm. And when people saw, you know, were able to see that, you know, gosh, she's been through something really hard too. Um, I think that was just a, a moment that we could be human together. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of uh, continues into the work I'm doing today one of my, you know, missions is to create spaces where we can be human together. That's awesome. Was it hard to embrace your vulnerability? Um, I mean, I think, yes. Um, I think I had kept kind of cut off from my vulnerability mm -hmm. for so long that it took a while to feel you know, comfortable being vulnerable with other people. 
um, and trusting or putting my story out into the world and letting what happened happen because you can't um, can't always predict or certainly control other people's reaction um, mm-hmm. to your story. And you know, I found that some people aren't ready to hear it um, or want to push it away and that you know there are people who have listened to my story and you know found ways that you know I was you know I caused it to happen mm-hmm. um, so that so that they can think well that would never happen to me because I wouldn't have you know done this or um, yeah so so I've had to find um, you know strength within myself that you know, I know my story and I know my truth and I can share my story with the world and I can't control how others are going to receive that. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. What advice would you give? um, So this, this question is kind of going in two directions. What advice would you give for other people who are struggling to share their story and um, coming up against their vulnerability? Well, I think my, my biggest piece of advice would be to be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, that maybe find, um, like the, maybe find a community in which to share your story that will be a safe place. Um, I, I remember, I'm, I'm really glad that I did this, but um, shortly after I was starting to feel you know, better and, and kind of owning my story, I spoke at a legislative forum um, and in, in front of a large audience. And it was a, a good, I'm glad that I did it because I think that uh, the legislators that were there and other people learned something from my story, but it took an incredible amount of me out of me emotionally and, you know, physically. Um, and I kind of, you know, regressed for a number of weeks um, after having that experience. So I think, you know, just be, be gentle with yourself. You don't have to climb Mount Everest on the you know first try mm-hmm. <laughs> um, try some of the shorter hikes first and um and surround yourself with friends and and loved ones um awesome so. thank you what about so my the other part of, the, of that question was um how what advice would you give to help empower people to work through all of the naysayers, the fault finders, the the people who didn't want to face your story? Yeah, that's, um, that's a tough question. Um, I think 
you know, counseling is, has been incredibly helpful and important to me throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, I would certainly recommend that to people struggling with trauma and this is going in a little different direction, but um, you don't have to, you know, try out different counselors. And if you're not feeling like your counselor really gets it, you know, find someone who does, um, who's willing to, to go there with you. Um, Mm -hmm. But in terms of people who, who um, might be naysayers or fault finders, I mean, that's really hard. I think it just, it takes time. Um, and like nobody, nobody knows your journey. Um, and so just, just know that you're, you're the one who knows the truth of your life. Um, so um, it reminds me of of a practice. I was in your trauma group recently, and the exercise that you had us do of looking back to our our five year old self mm-hmm. and loving and acknowledging all of our dreams, our our struggles, our um, our experiences as our five year old self, and then moving on to our our ten year old self or our mid childhood. And then to our teenage years and our young adulthood. And each step of the way, incorporating all of their struggles, their experiences, their dreams. Mm-hmm. And pulling that love and that that self, that same self, all the way through to where we are today. That was a, such a powerful experience for me. Because it helped me incorporate all of these experiences that I've had in my life, the good ones, the hard ones, the painful ones, the ones I'd rather not look at, the ones that, <laughs> the learning opportunities <laughs> where where I don't feel so, uh, so successful. <laughs> um, all of those, all of those opportunities with the writing in the current of we are who we are and all of our experiences help us become who we are um is that kind of what you did or have done in your um healing journey i think so um i feel like i lost um who i was before the assault for a long time Uh and that um, in the past you know 10 years or so that I've really been on the, this healing journey that I've, I've refound her um, and that I've reconnected with her and been able to um, nurture some of her dreams and, mm-hmm. and have, I don't know, felt uh, kind of a, a merging of the person I was before the assault and the person that I am now. Um, That's beautiful. Speaking of your groups, tell us more about them. Uh, sure. So I have, um, I offer five different 
kind of supportive community groups that meet online. Um, and I, I have uh, groups on, on trauma, like you mentioned, a group for, for people to come together. It's called Finding Hope, Healing from Trauma. And you know, in that group, I certainly don't um, profess to have the answers, but I find that when we come together in community and share um, and be human together, and you know, recognize that trauma is part of the human experience. Um, that I find that that there's real connection and and growth, and hopefully some healing in that space. Um, and I also offer groups on grief, um, and a group on life transitions called Facing Change uh, for people who are maybe. Um, going through a job transition or, um, you know, all the other many transitions that we face in our lives. Um, And then I have a group called Exploring Spirituality for for those who want to come together and talk about the big questions of life and death in an open, inclusive setting. Um, And then I have my fifth group is a group for women called Seasons of Life. And it's just for women at different stages of our lives to come together and share wisdom um, and kind of create community together. Wonderful. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your vulnerability, sharing you with us and sharing your hope and healing and also for sharing Beatty with us. I can tell that he's an integral part of your story. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for creating this space to uh, share human stories and for asking me to be on. It's been a real pleasure and, and an honor to share this time with you. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to tell our audience? Um, I think, I think that, um, I just want people to know that their story is unique, that their life's journey is unique and that, um, we don't know the paths that each other walks, um, Mm -hmm. but that I think that as humans, um, the best thing we can do is be gentle with ourselves and gentle with each other. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so generously with us. Um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to open it up for questions from our sure. participants. Does anyone have any questions for Christabeth? I don't have a question, but I just want to say I'm very proud of my wonderful daughter and to watch her grow and and face what she's had to face and grow through it and come out as... um, Um, to come out to a place where she helps others and 
is just makes a mom very, very proud. Thank you. Thank you, mom. Thank you for sharing that, Liz. Um, it is beautiful. It's beautiful to see that trans that transformation. Um, to see how people can take something so so debilitating, so um, traumatic, so even life threatening, and change that into a source of empowerment, not only for themselves, but also for others. And to use it as a stepping stone for growth. Incredible. Thank you. Anybody else have any questions or comments? Well, yeah, Christopher, uh, it's tremendous. Uh, it's horrendous what you had to uh, endure and tremendous what you have done with it and how you came over it and uh, with the help of uh, of Beatty. But, well, that's that's in that sense, it's only a tool because in the end, you did it yourself. And, uh, yeah, creating... Uh, what you are establishing now and the opportunity for people to meet themselves again uh, is wonderful. So thank you very much for it. And what, what was for me was very interesting was um, you said um, you were always present in the trauma. And I myself, I think of trauma as the, you've, you've got the traumatic experience and You've got the uh, dissociation from yourself, from your essence. Uh, can you comment on it? Uh, how did you feel about uh, dissociation or uh, losing a part of yourself? Mm -hmm. um, I think that I, I definitely dissociated from the feelings um, in order to survive. Uh, I mean, just not the assault itself, but in the, the months and years afterwards um, that I lost connection with pieces of myself. Because mm -hmm. um, if I, I think that there was, there was a part of me that was always in tune to the trauma. Um, and if my conscious self spent too much time there, then I would become not being, you know, non-functional. Um, so I think that, yeah, dissociation was a coping mechanism um, on, you know, probably a subconscious level that I needed to just be able to put one foot in front of the other. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think some more about that because I haven't gotten that question in that particular way. So I, I think that's really interesting. Okay, thank you. Thank you, yeah. It's, a, it, it, it's an interesting field to, to, to explore dissociation as a coping mechanism, I think. Wonderful. 
Thank you. Continue the good work. Thanks. Any other questions, comments? Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you so much, Christabeth, for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.